What it do, fam? Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Today we have on Joshua Barber. Um, I didn't say this in the podcast, but he is the dude that whenever I've seen him on Instagram, because he's always kind of been in my friend group for the last couple of years, but I hadn't met him directly until a couple months ago. I always felt that's how I want to be when I'm 40. Like, the way he looks, what his vibe is, what he's doing, like I can just feel that's how I want to be. And he is one of the most authentic men that I have met. And I'm so grateful that I'm in this community that I'm in where I get to meet people like this. But this man is 45 and he's about to get married again for the second time. And the life that he has created for himself, I can feel. I want that type of heart at that age, that type of openness to life. And this was such an interesting podcast because I think I may have gone 40 minutes without speaking because the story of his life is so Fifi. And for y'all who don't know what that means, go check out the podcast before this one. If you call yourself a true fan and it's remarkable. Like the thing I love about this podcast is that I've set it up in a way where I can have a conversation with literally anybody because all of us have an epic life story. If we have the eyes and the heart to really look back at what we've been through, everyone's been through tragedy. Everyone has survived tragedy. Like if they're in this chair and on this microphone, they have been through and have survived and grown from tragedy. And the specifics of everyone's story has some medicine for everyone listening. Like this podcast today that I recorded with Joshua, my homeboy was crying in the room, uh, Graham, behind the computer, the producer, and, and I could feel it. And that's one of the invitations to all of us is your stories matter because you don't know what particular of your story is the exact piece of truth and gold that someone else is going to hear that could literally change the course of their life. Like I can feel, and I'm going to talk with Graham about it afterwards, but we're just going to, I'm just going to let my intuition go for it, is that he heard something on this podcast that is going to viscerally change the way that he shows up to maybe the most significant relationship in his life in such a way that might change the course of his life. And it happened through simply hearing a part of someone else's story. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. And it's also the invitation to all of you. Tell your story when it feels right. And tell it as honestly as you possibly can, because it's medicine. If you want to support this podcast and help me continue to share people's story, um, I recently released the Dharma Journal. Uh, it's essentially a digital journal that you get to make. And if you haven't heard me talk about it before, it essentially is seven guided meditations that are my best attempt at creating spells that are, that it's created in a way that allows you to communicate with your unconscious mind, which is the part of your mind that dreams and the part of your mind that 
gives you messages in the psychedelic space where you create images that allow you to talk to your soul or your higher self and then helps you create your vision that that higher self has for you. And then it, set, it essentially will teach you through these seven spells, these seven guided meditations, what you need to begin to do and specifically what you need to begin to change in your life in order to make that life real. And if you listen to the podcast and you are following my story and you admire how I do what I'm doing, this is how I do it. This is the inner structures that I've created to tap into myself, to try to live authentically and to try to get my big fucking ego to bow to the whispers of my soul. And by the time that you finish these the seven days, you will have a daily meditation that's 11 minutes long that will allow you to connect to that temple inside of you and hear what is your one sacred task to do today. And then you'll have a beautiful journal that you get to check in afterwards every day. And it's literally what I use. I essentially have tried my best to create my soul GPS program. This is my software app to connect to my soul. And I'm trying to give you guys the download. So if you want to check it out, thedharmajournal.com. Uh, and the other ways that you can support this P podcast is uh, my journaling course, which you can get at the website. And then the newsletter. Um, share it with people you think it'll help. And it's the place where I go and share what the fuck is going on in my life and a lot of stuff's going on. Um, thank you so much for your attention and your love and your support and enjoy this podcast. Love, love. Joshua, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've been trying to do this for God, like six months. <clears throat> and I remember, um, the first day that we were supposed to do this, uh, someone was in the recording studio and we ended up just talking for like an hour and a half. And in the course of that conversation, which would have been a fire podcast, um, I learned that you had essentially, like, first, I had no idea how old you were because you're super healthy and super handsome. And I thought that you were maybe like at the most mid thirties, but apparently you're like 54, and <laughs> 45, <laughs> switch them around. And that um, you had essentially lived like a full life by the time that you were in your early twenties. And then you lived another full life and that you were weeks out from getting married and then that you had done ayahuasca and that you were actually like a sound alchemist. And I was just going through the part in my life where I was being opened up to the call to use sound as a part of my quote unquote medicine. And then how you'd been to Egypt and how you'd gone in some of these like forbidden areas because you knew the right people and you were able to do like sound ceremonies in like yeah. tombs and things. And I was just sharing with you at that time that I was just starting to be called to like study Egyptian mythology. And it was just, it felt like such a synchronicity moment. And I sent you like four books. I hope that you did all your homework. I haven't. <laughs> we'll see how I do on here. And uh, like one of the things that I love to do with this podcast is to get a sense of like what people's stories are. And so I'd love to invites you in as organically a way 
as it feels to kind of like retell me and us the story that you first told me uh, when we did the not actual podcast, but podcast in the office room outside of the studio. Like, um, where did it start for you? Like, I guess the question is, um, how did you get to this point? <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot of living, man. Yeah, at 45, I tell people a lot. It's like I'm I'm living another life in the same body. Is how it feels. Yeah. Um, I got married at 19 years old. Uh, by the time I was 25, I had three kids, mortgage on a nice house. Owned a business, managed about 30 people in that business, uh, two dogs, two cats. And I was a dad, dad to the people that worked for me and, and mostly dad to my family and kind of dad in my community. I just had that energy. Um, that came from coming up in a lot of broken family situation and myself and my previous wife really wanted to have stable family. Yeah. And that brought us together in a beautiful way. And we spent almost 20 years together. Are you um, an only child? Are you the oldest child? What's the family you know, dynamic? It's kind of both. I'm not an only child, but I was the firstborn. And the closest to me is about is right at seven years younger. Interesting. Okay. So I had this kind of, I was alone and went through my dad bailing and some stuff like that. And then my sister was in the picture, but I was always kind of more of a dad to right. her because by the time, like as she was being born, my dad bailed. Right. So I was what's like a dad to her. What's super interesting is um, my sister came into the scene uh, when I was 10. She's 10 years younger. And uh, my dad left at that time too. And I feel like out of the people that I know, I have some of the most dad energy. And that seems like an interesting pattern, you know, yeah. that especially being an only mother, I was watching her, my youngest sister with my sister that was a year younger. And like, we were kind of like the parents to the one that was 10 years younger. So that's an interesting thing to note. Yeah. And I, you know, I then came, um, I mean, they're full-blooded brothers, as the way I say it, but I mean, I technically they're like half brothers to me from new marriages for both parents. But I have younger brothers that are 12 years younger, 15 years younger, and 17 years younger. Wow. And I was like a dad to those guys. Yeah. Um, so I just always kind of carried that energy and I wanted to have a stable family of my own. Mm -hmm. I can remember being a 13 year old runaway in a field, feeling lost, straight up lost, crying, and I can recall that conscious thought of sitting there going, one day I'm going to have my own family. I'm going to be grown up and my kids are not going to have to deal with this shit. Yeah. I've in going back and healing, like, you know, transcending timelines and like moving through time. I've go back to that 13 year old boy. I sit in that field with him and I've actually, you know, we can get to that later maybe, but mm. I've, I can now remember being 13 and hearing a voice telling me Bruh. it was going to be okay. Bruh. And now I now know that was like 44 year old me yeah. going, don't worry, kid. It's chill. You're going to be fine. And you're going to have all that. <sighs> this is such an interesting point. Um, 
I'm reading this book right now called Overstory, and uh, I almost never read fiction, but I've been really called to read this book. And it's essentially this musing where there's all these different stories, but it's almost told from the perspective of the trees that witness the stories of the humans that unfold around them. And there was this one paragraph that I read yesterday where this nine-year-old girl was shown the sacred family heirloom of these three uh, jade rings that like go on your finger. And the story of the three jade rings is one tree is behind you and it has a special Japanese name that I can't remember. One tree is in front of you and then one tree is all around you now always. And the and this book won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of years ago. So the writing is fucking incredible. And the way he writes is he'll kind of like articulate a part of the story and then he just brings in this without any uh, preamble, just cutting spiritual insight. And there was a moment where he's just talking about this nine-year-old girl holding these rings and then um, all her different timelines of her older self and younger self were like unfolding around her in the way that like a tree spirals. And the moment that her dad like said something to her, they all collapsed back into that moment so she could speak. And the way that he articulated felt just like a 5-MEO experience that I had, where it felt like my being was this like spiraling timeline that was this golden tree. And like where I was at in time right now was the part that was almost like splayed open like an accordion. And I could feel a couple of like timelines behind me and a couple of timelines in front of me. And it was actually in one of our men group that you and I are a part of where I had my first moment where it felt like through like an altered state of consciousness because of the breath work that we were doing, uh, I went back to a past version of me, had an interaction with him. And then in my remembering of what it felt like as that younger boy, I think I was seven or eight, I had the felt sense of an other comforting me without language, but with presence. And so what you're articulating makes perfect sense to me. And the dude I was even a year ago would have been like, he would have needed to interpret what you are saying in a Jungian way in order to even allow it to be true. But I've, I'm now slowly having experiences that are opening me up outside of that reality tunnel. So I say all that to say I'm completely resonating with yeah. what you're saying. I am fascinated with and really have been doing a lot of work to play with these timelines. Once I've sensed that, like that was one of those anchor points for me. Um, and I've had several through outside of medicine medicine can like kind of bang, put you right into it and it's all overwhelming and you're just kind of in it and you take, it takes time to process. But once I figured that part out and had that sense, I knew I could go backwards and also go forwards and call in like, okay, I'm this voice to that little boy now. Well, what about future self? What's, what's he got to say to me? Cause I've got goals and things I still need to overcome right now. And an interesting thing that I feel into, <clears throat> and a lot of the feeling into was forced by medicine, but now it's something that I can kind of play with consciously because I've opened my mind enough to it, is the aspect of our existence that I call the daemon, which is like that inner whisper that like directs you in ways that aren't really linguistic, but it's more felt and intuition, like 
wow, I just have this call to read this book or I just have this call to go talk to this person I haven't mm -hmm. met or I just have this call to go to this place I've never been to. It feels like it's my future self who could be, but also I have the ability to act in such a way that kills his chance of existing, but it could be. It's almost like he's singing a song backwards through time and the way the song hits me is my intuition, mm -hmm. is my felt sense of go do this next thing. And so I resonate with that too. And I, I would add to that just ultimately, like we want to perceive it as future self, but really it's higher self mm. who's just seeing all, all of it. You know what I mean? So you can kind of like line up, you get in alignment with that higher self and then it can just drop into all those moments because it's in that timeless dimension. Right. So consciously- that's exactly how Jung described And that's all it takes is the fucking thought. That's all it takes which to me is so fucking empowering. It's like, yeah, let's get into this. Yeah. Um, it can get intense, man. There's a lot of energy out there because it goes, <laughs> you know, you think that past future stuff, but it goes ancestrally. You know, I just had a 5-MeO experience a couple of weeks ago that I'm integrating and my prayer going into that was, I'm in this renewed life. I'm about to step into marriage with an incredible woman. We want to bring life into this world. So I'm looking at becoming a literal father all over again. And I want to clear my vessel as much as I possibly can to prepare myself, like literal DNA, genetically, like what is held within this body that needs clearing because I'm not bringing life again into this world for the same old bullshit patterns. Absolutely. And I want to get to the five MEO. And I think, um, I want to kind of track this timeline's arc that brought you to the moment of having that five MEO that just happened like a week ago. But so you're 25, <clears throat> you've aggregated all the things that culture says, Ooh, if you get these things, then you'll be full and happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck happened? You know, I was successful at sleepwalking. I didn't know it was sleepwalking, um, but there was just, I was just dad and business owner and I played those roles and everything was about everybody else. Um, I love my kids. They're 24, 23, 21 now. Um, I have two grandsons for my oldest daughter. I'm a grandpa, wow. which is nuts, <laughs> but also like dope. Yeah. Um, I love this fatherhood stuff, dude. I'm gonna have kids younger than like I got grandsons. Like, deal with that. You know? <laughs> so I just shouldn't come try to outdad me right now. Yeah, you know, that's how I feel. <laughs> um, I was sleepwalking though, you know. And, and when I say that, I mean I wasn't really tending to myself. Um, I was able to mask a lot of that just through living that program, really. Um, and it did, it started to come up for me when I got into what was essentially a younger version of a midlife crisis. Yeah. And I, and I learned what midlife crisis is really about. And you kind of go through that arc and your kids get older and you're like really empty nesting quicker than you think, you know, you're like, Oh, I got my kids. So they're like off to college or whatever. They get to where they're old enough to drive and they get social and they have like a little side job and they're gone. And they're also gone. Like, emotionally in a lot of levels, yeah. which is what you want. They're going to find their own selves and their independence, but you have 
especially starting at 20, being a dad, an identity crisis because I'm not carpooling. I'm, I'm not coaching the little league. I'm not throwing the pool party barbecues. You know, all that's going away. Um, at the same time, we were sleepwalking. So I did not tend to my relationship with my previous wife. Yeah, We were great friends, great parents together. And then all of a sudden when the kids didn't need us in a way, we were just looking at each other like, oh shit, who are you? Well, who am I? Um, this is scary. Uh, at the same time, just because life was stacking it up for me, my business that I was in currently arced and it was time to sell mm. at a good value. So I was in all of a sudden letting go of dad identity, wow. husband identity, and this business owner identity. All of them were going out the window. So I was deep in a like, who the fuck am I? Um, I was already like, I had enough of, you know, I say I was sleepwalking, but I had enough of a like background, you know, I was a really young man. Um, my mom bailed on me and like, I was like, can't trust mom. Dad bailed on me, can't trust dad found God through church and like had this great, I went to this thing called a happening. It was like a church camp thing that was put on and they just bathe you in love essentially. And I felt like what was, what I perceived as like the light of Christ in my heart for the first time, like loved. What age? Uh, 14, 15, somewhere in there. And boom, I was like leading the church youth group, <laughs> like all in, you know? This church I went to was an Episcopalian church. Had a guy that was like running the thing that got promoted into some like bishophood or something. They bring in a new guy who wants to be more evangelical. Well, half of this church is like the choir that wants to do it the old school ways. This church literally has a divorce. Uh So I had connected the love of God to this community. Mm -hmm. Now this community is betraying me is in my sense. So that's when I went like full, fuck it. Um, I flew off the handle. What age is this? Like really 15, mm. 16, 17. Those early years, I, I really lost all sense of giving a shit about anything. I was still very loving in my heart. I've always had this very tender, loving, kind nature. Um, People will tell me like, I had somebody just the other day, they're like, I don't know, man, you're just like pure. That was the word they used. Um, I took that as a big compliment. Like, thank you. That is just like, love is just my, like for a lot of people, they had to really do some stuff, especially people that are really just busy, busy in the mind, really brilliant and identify that way. I growing up was around a lot more women. I think that also had an effect. So I learned how to relate with them, but I came from my like heart space in my nature. Um, so that was always there, but I had just walled it all, all off. And I just wanted to do like whatever drug was put in front of me. I felt like if I died the next day, like, what does it even matter? Like I was really down and out. And it's what really pulled me out um, was my first wife, Mercy. She like, loved me and kept loving me. And I would like give her reasons not to. And she just kept loving me. 
at the like this like steady drum beat till finally I just like let go as much as I could at that time, trusted her and we we built that relationship. And I'm again, I'm only 19 at this point. We'd done a bunch of LSD together. I'd had some like, you know, holy shit, there's other things going on outside of my perceived reality. And that got me really dialed into a lot of Eastern religion. So I started reading a lot of those kind of books, even just like stuff like Deepak Chopra and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, it all comes from within. But it was like, those were some seeds that planted. And then I just went on being dad and taking care of everybody. Because when you're popping off in your early twenties and you got that much responsibility, <laughs> like I was just working, bro. Like grinding to feed people. Um, got fast forward again, back to, I get to these moments where all that's starting to come apart. Um, I meet my twin flame, uh, this incredible woman who like really loved me and had a passion for me. And what age is this? 36, 37. Okay. And how'd you meet her? Um, through friends, uh, through a friend network. And that woke, that started to wake me up. Um, actually, I was waking up a little bit before, you know. One of the things that I'm curious to like zoom in on is the moment you meet this twin flame, you are still married to your previous wife. What is happening inside of you that maybe you couldn't see then, but you can look back and see now? Like there's something that I imagine um, at the very beginning stages of something that would lead to like an affair or lead to something that would be perceived as cheating where there's like this felt sense of like, I know what I'm saying yes to, and I'm still going to say yes to it, even though I don't understand why I'm saying yes to it. Can you kind of zoom us into like what was happening in you when you first met her or when it first started to wake something up inside of you just to kind of give people an insight? Because this is, I would imagine a good majority of the people listening have not met this moment in their development and will. And so I'm curious if you can highlight anything here that could serve the people listening mm -hmm. and myself included. I would, you know, even before Susie came into my life, um, I was starting to wake up in other ways and I didn't really realize it yet. And it's a lot of it's kind of wooey, like new earth awakening you know, other dimensional realities, right? And I was like kind of starting to play with those ideas, reading a lot of like chant, like all of a sudden I was like, it was coming to me. Like you said, where'd this book kind of come from? And I need it. Like, I think higher self was like, read a channel from Metatron, you know? And I'm like, what the hell is that? Okay. And then I'm reading it and it's resonating. So I started to have this mind thing turn on and heart thing of like, I need to wake up. There's, there's other things going on and I need to kind of wake up to that. And a part of my intuition is um, while you're in the relationship with the person that you've been with for a long time, if you start getting into like things that are awakening your spirit and they're not coming with you, that feels like that almost introduces the opportunity for a fracture in the relationship to be catalyzed by meeting a new person. Was your previous wife meeting you? in this spiritual thing or was this something that was kind of happen happening independently she was meeting me there and like reading it and absorbing it and kind of about it but we still had this like shut 
shut off, which was sexual alchemy. She had a lot of trauma that she had never, she didn't even know she had. Neither of us did. All I knew was that she was totally closed off to me. She would talk to me about how sexuality was like the ba- a wrong thing, that we need to be thinking about higher levels of spirituality where that doesn't exist. That was her own denial and pushing down what she, through our separation, woke up to. Like she came back at the, the trauma of me, you know, quote unquote, abandoning, abandoning her is how she was feeling it. Uh, but to me, I had already felt abandoned because she would never receive me. And I thought that I, I literally was like, well, it's just a monk's life for me. Like what's important is that I'm taking care of my kids and everybody's happy and stable. And like, I'll, I'm just making that sacrifice. Then a twin flame comes along mm. who was like, drop dead gorgeous everything that I would ever want to just fucking go off on not only is standing there but is like come go off on me and I had never I got I was with my previous wife at 18 married at 19 kids at 20 I never really experienced that so all of a sudden I had this outlet where I could just like go off like really release the pound inside of me and just be like all the things that i wanted to be all of that passion was just like flooding out of me and fully received in a safe way and that is what was really turning me on not just like sexually turned on but was turning on all these higher levels of consciousness within me because all of a sudden i was expressed in a way that I'd never felt. To me, it was like the ultimate kind of breath work or something. I don't know where all of a sudden you, I was just like, whoa, my chest was out. My energy was out. My heart was like on fire, on fire, fully awake, full of so much like real love and passion and all of that. But at the same time, I was tortured because out of the gate, it wasn't a fair, it was secret. So I had this woman, my wife who I loved dearly still do my children everything I had built in my whole life all of that work all of like because we were this healthy couple it wasn't like oh man this toxic relationship like when's that ever going to end we were perceived as the perfect couple married young had the kids big house pool all the things you know and then the community and our family had no concept of what was like really going on underneath. Um, So there was this freeing that had to happen because my heart was literally getting split into two because I loved and cared for all of that. And then I had this woman in my life that I was identifying as it was like identifying with mom or dad or the church. Now I was identifying with her. She's my ticket to this she makes me whole. She makes me whole. She gives me to transcendence. She gets me to transcendence. And my heart, I didn't know what to do. So I held it in for a good long while. How long? Uh, about a year and a half. And it kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And what do you mean it kept escalating? Um, my feelings for her, how mm-hmm. often we'd see each other, um, our sharing, where we were headed. She was married too. Mm. It was it was not good social situation. <laughs> and um, there's a 
a part of my intuition is that if you ever open up fully to a sexual partner, especially if they're a woman, they might not be able to articulate it, but they know what the fuck is going on with you. Um, at least that's been my experience is that they might not be able to articulate it, but they know, and they know that something is off. And, uh, did you feel that from your previous wife while this was happening for the year and a half? Oh yeah. Women's intuition always <sighs> <Yeah>. knows. Now <laughs> she was in full denial of that. Right. She didn't want to face, she didn't want to face that. Yeah. Um, neither of us did really. We right. both kind of, I mean, I knew she kind of knew and we just, you know, she just kind of wanted like the other things in our life that we wouldn't address. She just wanted to put it under the couch. <sighs> um, I call this partner, a twin flame because I, from my understanding of it and the way I, I experienced it is this is like someone who comes into your life that's really deep soul alchemy and they come in and it's a flame. They set fire yeah. to everything that you thought you were yeah. and then they're going to go. Yeah, I wanted to attach to that relationship and go, no, now this is love of my life and then I'm going to move on. I'll be with her and it'll forever. And it's like, no, we can never get past like if there was 10 steps to all of it, we couldn't get past step three. But those first three steps is what I needed from her. And she needed from me to wake the fuck up in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that forced my hand into speaking my truth. Not only this is a relationship and exists within the social confines of like my marriage and like telling her and my children who are older, it's not like they're little and they don't really quite get it. They're like graduating from high school and in college. And I'm like, this is what's happening to me. What was the moment where you decided that you were going to speak it? Because that feels like a huge, huge moment. Like, what was that moment for you? Um, I had gotten home after, at this point in my life, I was um, in and out of town for work a lot. So I was like half gone and that. That honestly was one of the things that really put the nail in the coffin for my marriage is my previous wife made the choice to go ahead and move and come to Austin. And it was like, well, you can get here when you can get here. I was like, well, I have a, this company that I'm in the process of selling and that doesn't happen overnight. And she's like, I'm not worried about it. Buy this house up here and I'm taking the kids will be up here. And that's that was my final, like when your kid being abandoned again, I was telling this story like, oh, okay, you don't give a shit. You just want me to put the money in the bank and that's it. Um, that's kind of started that fraction, real big fracture. I came home after being gone a while. I'd been with my other partner and that denial within um, my previous wife had just built up and built up and she, I could just feel it. I was like, I can't. I knew for about a month or two, I was like, it's coming. It's just a matter of the actual moment. And that moment came. It was just like a weeknight at home. I'd gotten back and she was just really uncomfortable. I knew that she could feel it in all of her body. Because as much as a woman wants to deny it, they're just a portal to all the things. And I was just like, I got to tell you. I got to tell you right now. And I unloaded it. And all hell broke loose. Um, her anger just came out like a fury. It was intense. My children were there. It was really intense for them too. Um, that was one of the, if not the most difficult 
moments in my life, but also freeing because finally I was speaking what was my truth. And that was that whole first life in this body was me not speaking my truth. You know, I would want to go do this. Well, no, let's go do that. Okay. You know, let's have, I kind of feel like having this for dinner. No, no, we're going to have this. Okay. You know, all of those just like not speaking up what I felt. I was just a people pleaser. And there's such a part of that that's disempowering. You know, I, I by my nature loved everybody, wanted to keep them comfortable, but I was not tending to myself. And I didn't understand that until I freed myself from it. And frankly, then I went the other direction too far. Everything yeah. became about me. Yeah. Now, fuck, finally, I can just do it for me. Because that little secret, that relationship, how I would justify it in my mind was I would say to myself, finally, this is the, this is the one thing. I'm giving my whole life to all of this. This is the one thing that's just going to be for me. It'll be my secret. And this will be the thing for me. So ultimately it could not be that anymore. And then it was like, you know what? Yeah, this is, this is me. This is what's been happening. This is how I feel. And it was really, really hard because I dug so deep. I went to coming out of it. Actually, I wasn't even coming out of it. I was so deep in it because, you know, quickly I just, we separated. It was really done. There wasn't any going back for me. Um, I knew we both needed to go and grow on our own. And it was really scary for my previous wife because I earned everything. So that fear of like, oh shit, how am I going to take care of me and like everything? So I really had to reassure like, well, here's our reassured. I just gave, gave her everything. I was like, I don't want any arguments. I don't want any hard divorce, anything like here, here's all of it. Because I felt a lot of guilt, but I also just wanted to be freed of all of it. So I could just try to figure out, because again, here's that question, like, who am I? Because I was always the good guy, this honest, good-hearted man that all of a sudden couldn't be that anymore because look what I did in this relationship, right? And this thing for me that was then selfish and of course perceived as selfish from the outside of like, how could you vibes? And I had to really do the work to overcome that one and really heal my heart because I kept that as I'm learning to like speak all of my truth so much that I kept inside literally split my heart in half. I went to a guy who's a now deep personal friend, mentor, uh, healer, and I hadn't slept for like four days. I was having deep anxiety for the first time in my life. I couldn't eat. I couldn't smoke a joint. It would just multiply everything by a thousand and all the anxiety I was feeling. I was just paralyzed. And I went to him, he doesn't know the story, but there was like a healer fair. And I knew this guy did Reiki. And I was like, I'll try anything. How long after the talk with your ex uh, did this event happen? Probably a couple months. Mm -hmm. I had been, I'd moved out at that point, you know, cause it was like, I just need to get out of here. And I went, found my own place, moved into that. And for the first time in my life, lived alone. I never, I was bounced around as a kid from house to house, but there was people in it. And then by the time I was 17, I couldn't even live at home anymore. I, before I graduated high school, I had to go find a place to live outside of family, um, which was some friends, but there were people there. Then I had roommates 
then I was married and in a family dynamic. So for the first time at like 37 years old, I'm living alone. And oh. I did not know what <laughs> the hell to do with that. Not even a pet, you know? It was like, I was in it having to, and that's why the anxiety came too. Cause it was like, you're not gonna dumb it down with anything. You're just gonna sit in this. And I knew I had to. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm in it. What can I do to help move this? And I went to this Reiki healer and he read my energy. He was just like, whoa. He said, I got to tell you, your heart chakra is literally split in half. So we can like work on that here for a while. And that was the first night I think I got sleep in days. Wow. Um, and that kind of started this like slow walk back. Um, that's almost like a birthing moment, really. Not, not quite yet, but like I was starting to like come to like this new life. So I had to rebuild. I had to rebuild not only relationships and redefine them because my kids are now becoming adults and are adults. So it's like, here's my truth. Here's what I've been feeling. Here's where I'm really at. This is who I am. And my kids are dealing with like, wow, dad's not perfect. Actually, he's way off base. Look at this. Look at how our mother is you know, suffering. Like I had to go into all of that my own family and then go find- Are you still having the relationship with the other woman while this is happening? At that time I was. Yeah. I was still hanging on to that. And I did for a while and really learned even more about that twin flame dynamic. It wasn't ever going to go anywhere. We were just in this one pattern that we could not break until finally I had to just like go, this isn't ever going to go anywhere. We served each other. I, I got far enough out that I knew I really needed this as ugly as it gets in the moment. And you're just like, what the hell is even happening here? I had enough time pass and done enough like coming out of it to go, okay, wow, I really, this all needed to happen. Can you zoom in and articulate what the pattern with the twin flame was and uh, what your moment was where you knew that it wasn't going to go beyond step three? Because I think that this will also really serve people if um, you can same, you know, just to zoom in, it's the same conversations, the same issues, the same satisfaction through just the sexual alchemy and trying to step further into like, okay, well now we're both free. So you want to step into deeper relationship and her blocks of like the not really being able, capable of that. And my blocks of not being able to really be capable of that and the stories that we were telling of each other and the realization of the mirrors that we were of like, whoa, this was like an aspect of my divine feminine that showed up to like help me alchemize with that come come like bloom in a lot of ways. But guess what? that flower is going to live its life. It's going to die off. And then the next one needs to come and bloom. And it wasn't going to do it till this one cleared the way. Mm. And, and in this, it was a conversation we were having and we had just taken a trip together, which was really freeing. Um, and coming back from that. And I was in that conversation. I was realizing like, she's not, this is just the same. I'm this same thing to, to her. And she's that same thing to me. And it got us to like from here to there, but it's not going to get us any further. I got to let this thing go, which was also tough. And how long after the Reiki session was the ending of this relationship? 
I'd say probably six months, something like that. You know, it just took time. Part of me didn't want to face that. And then you also just can be addicted to the satisfaction of how we could pleasure each other, very frankly. Like it was fire. That's one of the telltales of a twin flame relationship is it is insane. Yeah. I remember getting this astrological reading once from this astrologer and it actually happened twice. And it was like, I don't really follow that stuff too closely, but there's like this grand triangle thing that we like literally perfectly, like it doesn't get, the pairing doesn't get any better mm. in that alchemy. And it was rad um, for what it was. But I knew I needed to grow out of that. Um, and I had to take that other, that next tough step of like really doing it. So I freed myself of that. Um, at that same time, I had taken on some other work. I was really starting to put my focus into wellness. I was having a lot of success. And that work was taking me out of Austin, which was also really good for me. I was doing this like corporate nomad life. I was living in like New York for six weeks, Denver for two months, Boston for a month, Seattle for six weeks. Like I was bouncing from the big cities, which gave me this wonderful experience to just go like be meeting new people, being different environments. And there's nothing more stimulating than that when you're and you're really in a self growth pattern. That's one of the greatest gifts my father ever gave me as a young man, as much as he couldn't really be there emotionally he would send me like, you're going to this bilingual school in Mexico. You're going to live with a family down there for two months. Go. I'm sending you off to this camp. I'm sending you to this or that. And all these different environments cool. he would put me in. And I would, I learned like, oh, wow. Like I'm true to myself, but I can also like create this whole new me in any kind of way I want to be. Like, how am I going to show up here? So I, I was able to like kind of step back out again in different environments and, and meet different people. And that was really empowering to me uh, and helping me. And then I was just deep into the spiritual path. One of the last things that Mercy and I did together after I had told her the truth and we were seeking healing together, I, we went and had our first ayahuasca journey oh, wow. together. So with your ex-wife? Yeah. After you told her the truth? Yep. Oof. Brutal. I, first of all, that was happening. And I was just starting to like free myself of all of this stuff I had held in. I had heard through some friends in the community about ayahuasca and like, I didn't, I was so naive. <laughs> Here's how I tell you how naive I was. When I walked in the room and there were buckets on the floor, I was like, what are the buckets for? Yeah. Oh, you might get sick within your stomach. Like, oh, I mean, I'm, I got a tough stomach. I'm not worried about that. What's next? You know, thinking like, oh, we're going to have a light, you know? mushroom journey or something like that. Cause like, again, I'd messed around with some LSD and mushrooms as a young kid. Um, I drank a cup, laid back. It was what I expected. It's feeling a little bit out of body. You know, things are starting to like move around. Theoretically, I can see some like geometries and I was comfortable in that world. I was always like kind of natural in it. Um, the shaman asked me like how I was feeling. I explained that and he goes, okay. And he gives me another big old cup. And I drank that thing down. Um, Mercy was there with me. It was just the two of us in the ceremony. Oh, wow. Yeah. She instantly, boom, it was out of her body. Like instantly. I sat with it. Um, 
and I sat with it and then reality was gone. I was in this timeless space that I perceived as hell. Every negative emotion, anger, fear, sadness, despair, like all of it was faucet wide open pouring out of me. And I I was in a like timeless place where I didn't know there was no turning it off. All I knew was that like, I was in hell. And I stayed in that space for a long time. Um, through the whole arc of that journey, I experienced what I was told is called a shaman's death. It took them about six hours to get me back into my body. Um, when I finally came to, I mean, the short of that journey was that whole nightmare is happening. I think I kind of exhausted myself of that. I, I can remember intuitively at one point realizing that this wasn't just my stuff anymore. I was like collective. And as an empath, like I just opened it up and didn't know how to turn it off. Um, and then finally that settled down and I actually went into this like blissful experience that showed itself in vision to me as my twin flame there, but like in light body. And we were like, I can remember like I could breathe and it was like, I could take a deep, the deepest breath ever. Like it was endless. It was like infinite. I could just like freely, like I was released from all of that and I could just freely breathe and enjoy full ecstasy and not feel any shame about it. And from that, I went into the void and I saw like the images, the faces you'll see like in Alex Gray paintings, which I was always curious about. I was like, is that because it's imprinted on my psyche because I've seen that before? Or is this like what it looks like? Because then I got curious, read a lot about it. And I was like, wow, person after person, they see these faces. I've seen those faces on ayahuasca. Um, their message for me was be stoked because you're actually like living, you have a will and you can go like move and create. We're here. It's all bliss and it's all love, but we're just here. Like you get to manipulate this energy and create and move. And like, you're the fingertips of God. Like you are literally the consciousness alive, present in the moment creating with your thoughts. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, what's weird is their message for me um, was not linguistic, but the felt sense was uh, neither good nor bad, but that um, we are all of it. It's all of it. And that your human drama has no meaning, but it, it wasn't in a nihilistic way. It, it, for me, my big thing my entire life that the psychedelic experience has been trying to get me to just relax into is eternity is the closest word to it. But it's it's the felt sense of forever, always, never. And that um, when I entered that space where I felt like I saw those faces, it felt like the, the whole, the one, the all, the awe was conveying to me its energetic signature which to my ego is like a terrifying feeling but mm. that was i've seen those faces yeah so for me it was like this is the all that is like this is pure awareness but you get to go do this thing and i was like yeah that's dope 
I need to take advantage of that. Like I need to really keep stepping into my power and like consciously manifesting what it is that I really want. Instead of kind of having a backseat and doing everything for everybody else, I was kind of driving in the wrong kind of way. So man, with that journey, I came out of that. And then I know from the outside, they told me like I was writhing all over the place, dude. My body and the physical was just everywhere. I woke up when I finally came to, I was like, like I had sweats on like a fall evening, a cooler evening. I like sweats and a thermal shirt on soaking wet like I'm in a shower. Totally out both ends. I lost like 10 pounds that night. I was trembling. They had to pick me up, put me into a shower, like hose me down. Well, get me home. It's traumatic, man. I did not know what to do with all that. And I just, I believe in all like the divine trust that all that's absolutely meant to be. It's not like, oh, well, that was some fuck up. Like, that's exactly what I needed. Um, it took a long time to integrate. <laughs> whoa. Um, but that was a big stepping stone of like, whoa, I think that's the most I've ever, like, I wrote like, I don't know, a hundred pages the next day. I'm not kidding. Like, I wrote a freaking novel. It felt like of everything I'd experienced and all these things started to connect. Um, and it's all right there in that moment, but then you kind of get back to life, you know? Um, and I lost some of it along that way. Do you still have those writings? Mm -hmm. It's something I've been thinking about lately, especially after that last five meal that I addressed, that I talked about when we first started to talk, like I need to go back and read all of that again. Cause I'm at another pivotal time. I can yeah, sense that very clearly. Um, and I think that's where most of my growth is in the last year since is the knowing and the trusting and my intuition um, and, the, and, and just we're in this waking dream. Uh, several tools, medicine, yes. I mainly attribute it to my meditation practice. I became a Vedic meditator right about that time and really stuck to it. And that practice is a mantra that's your own. And 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon, every single day. It's like brushing my teeth. I do not not do that. In that period throughout the day and in the morning, how I start my day, um, you just drop in. You drop into a stillness and you sense the all that is, that void that is emanates us. It's not like, oh, that's that thing over there with those Alex Gray faces. They're within you and like, it's all right here. Mm. And you can really feel that in a deep journey where you're just blasted right into it. Everything that's the illusion is gone. But when you're in the illusion and you can still like close your eyes and just like breathe that in and that knowing and really settle and center, it just sets everything else off. You're like, you, you just... I call it the waking dream. The more and more you just are realize, like I'm dreaming right now. You people talk about lucid dreaming, like that's what we call reality. You and I are in a dream right now and we're mirroring something to each other. We have a message. We knew that intuitively from the first time we met. Now here we are having another conversation, but that everything that comes into my life is like that. And the more that you listen, the more that it speaks up, I find. Yeah. You know, the first time I ever intuitively knew about Melissa, my fiance, soon to be wife, I had traveled to 
um, the Bay Area. How many years after doing ayahuasca is this? I have to do the math. Um, three years. Rough guess. Um, I travel out to the Bay Area for work. I have a free weekend there. And I go take a solo. I did like 13 or 14 miles a day hike through Redwood Forest. Wow. Started up on a high ridge, made my way down into this Redwood Forest. And it was like deep, kind of deep back in a the park. There was nobody. And I got out there, got into these Redwoods. And if you've ever been in a Redwood Forest, like the energy just shifts. Like you, it, there's almost like a gate to each one. And the temperature drops like, feels like 20 degrees. The air smells different, feels different. You feel like you're in an, another dimension, literally like they're holding something. And I'm sober, you know, walking into this and I take my shoes off and I like get my hands on and connect with this tree. And it was like, it felt like a medicine journey. And this tree was just giving me information and I could feel that I was giving it information. Mm. I couldn't verbalize what it was, but I could intuitively know like there's a reciprocal thing that's happening right now. Well, I have yeah. codes for this tree and this tree has like codes for me. And at that time I had no real idea that I would be moving to California and all these things would be happening, but it told me. It was like, you're going to be moving here. It's important that you come to re us, Redwoods, we acknowledge you and we recognize you. You've done this many times and we've been here for a lot of them, but you're here and you're now and you're, you've got big work to do and your own healing and what's, what's happening there. You're, this is a transitional time. You're going to move here. You're going to spend a lot of time with us, which turned out to be true. It showed me my work and how I was going to be helping people empower them in their own healing. And it showed me Melissa, this tall blonde woman. And it, they said to me, they're like, this is the next like deep partnership, like lifelong thing that's happening for you. And I was like, whoa, that's nuts. What did I take some mushrooms? You know, <laughs> um, it was funny because I was never into blondes really. I was always like this brunette guy. That's what I was into. So I was like, that's interesting. I literally banked it. I was like, okay, well, moving on. Um, that was a cool experience. Get on with life. Maybe three months later, I get an offer to come to work in California full time. I'm like, wow, that's cool. That, that was told. And move on, start doing that. I moved full time on December 5th of 2018. Three weeks later, I come home to Austin for the holidays. I immediately get off an airplane. Um, it's a Friday, December the 21st, full moon. It's the winter solstice. And one of my uh, spiritual mentors and teachers, a guy named Jay Harry, is holding a sweat lodge, a community lodge, like, you know, it was normal back then. Um, I call my good friend, Gunter. And I say, Hey, come make a prayer with me. I'm in town. Like, let's do this thing. And he says, I'm coming and I'm bringing friends. 
Well, Melissa Lynn was one of those friends. So literally in this like place where I prayed and prayed and prayed, the way I just try to describe it to people, I'm like, look, like imagine that you went to this church and there was the altar and like you went there for years and you really prayed hard, not specific to like this certain relationship or whatever, but just prayers of healing and like waking yourself up to higher levels of consciousness and like really fulfilling your path and what you came to get into this body for. And she shows up like in front of that altar. It was wild. At first, I was just amazed by the sight of her. I mean, she's drop dead gorgeous. Um, but I in, intuitively knew quickly, like, whoa, there's some big energy here. And it was seen by friends. Like literally, I'd, an elder woman came up, giving me a big home. I hadn't been home in like three months or something. Oh my God, it's so good to see you again. She, Melissa and I are just standing there. She takes a step back and was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt y'all. Y'all obviously have like something going on here. And we literally just said our names to each other. So we kind of looked at each other like, oh, that's funny. Get back to talking, starting to like dive in a little bit deeper. Another friend comes up, gives me a hug. Bro, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're back here making a prayer with us. Takes a step back, looks at the two of us and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Like you guys have something going on here. And we looked at each other again. And that time we just laughed. We're like, what is this about? Um, later that night, went over to my buddy's house, had some tea. And I really got to hear her speak. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 like, whoa. She's not just gorgeous. My God, this woman's heart and mind. Like, wow. But man, I just moved to San Francisco. Like, now what? Well, guess what? She lives in San Francisco too. I just come home for the holidays. We live like two miles from each other. So we went back to San Francisco post-holidays, um, fast in love. It's funny because that was actually my last trip to Egypt. We were together for like two weeks and then I took off. I was gone for almost a month because I went to Egypt and then I had some work in New York. Um, but we, there were some big messages for me in Egypt for all, around all that too, by the way. Um, but we hit it off and went fast. And next thing I knew, um, as foretold by the trees, right? It's all, it's all happening. Well, she leaves me. We go about five months of just deep love, fast as can be. I'm introducing her to my kids. I never put another woman in front of my kids, but I was like, this is it. I could feel it with all of me and I knew it. Um, she got scared about all of that. Um, she had some stuff that she needed to like really work out internally. She didn't really know how to do it. So she just ghosted me. I'd never been ghosted in my life. I'd never really been broken up with in my life. Um, I fucking lost it. I was back in the depths of the anxiety that I had like post-divorce. But I had done enough work that I knew it wasn't like, oh, I'm this victim. How could she do that to me? I was sitting there going, how have I created this fucking story again? Really? With this one? Like I'm the abandoned guy again? What the fuck? God, help me. Like I've created this again. I can't eat. I can't sleep. 
I'm left behind. I'm alone. I'm the, everything's like boxing in around me. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, help me God. This, this is my literal prayers, Eric. I'm like, help me God to learn. Like I've, I've done this again. And at that point, I think I'm never going to see her again. Like that's that, but like, I can't do this again. I've got to keep stepping forward like a spiritual warrior. Like I'm not going to buckle. Like, I'm just going to keep going. But what is it that I've got to learn? What is it that I've got to learn? And the message, no big surprise, but the message is unconditional love, dude. Unconditional love. And I was like, okay, unconditional love for everybody else. So that manifested in all kinds of ways. I literally, as a practice for me, I was like, Right when she left me, it was like a month later was her birthday and it was her graduation. She was getting her master's to go heal people because she's a master healer. (laughs) And I was like, I can't let this go by without acknowledging it. And I want to express love to her, but with no agenda, no attachment, no, this is going to get her to come back to me. So I wrote this like Lakota prayer that I learned and another message to her about just friendship. I was like, as your friend, as someone who just appreciates who you are and where you're going, like, thank you. Because she had all the things. She lived in New York. She was like one of the top salespeople for Facebook, selling all the ads that and taking the information. She was like, I'm not doing this. She could have lived that comfortable programmed lifestyle. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm supposed to do more than this. I need to go help people to heal that have gone through traumas like I've gone through. And she made that choice and went and did it. And I was like, I'm not going to not acknowledge this. So I sent this letter and it was her 31st birthday. So 31 yellow roses, bouquet fucking the size of this table. Get them. Yeah. Fucking get them. <laughs> but <laughs> with that yep. was not, oh, this is going to get her to come back to me. And I was having to check in on that every fucking five minutes. And it was like, not going to, not going to go there. It's just, can I give this gift with nothing? What if she doesn't even respond to me? Can I still be in that place of love? I passed that test. She actually did get back at me, FaceTime me. It was a beautiful moment, but that was that. And I was like, okay, I'm letting this go and I'm keeping moving. Unconditional love over here and over there. Still, I just couldn't get past it. God help me. Why? It's unconditional love, dude, for yourself. For yourself, Joshua. (sighs) Okay. Like, how do I even do that? And I just started in practice just to really honor myself in every moment and really checking in on how I was feeling. And just for me, the number one for unconditional love is speaking your truth in every moment. I don't care what the reaction is, who it is from a space of love, from a space of kindness, not, oh, this is me and this is how it is truth. (laughs) It's, this is how I feel. This is how you make me feel. This is what this environment feels to me. How can we like love each other more? Like, 
Like I was just opening, like this whole new flower was blossoming within my heart that was like, wow, this is what unconditional love for self feels like. And I came into this centered power that was like unfucking real. Like I felt like I had this vision at the time too, where I was like in a dream and I was a pharaoh building the pyramids. And I could feel the power in me because they were moving like without, it wasn't like, oh, they're pulling the pulleys and like, here's a hundred guys pulling one stone. They were, the stones were just like floating and moving and I had these plans in front of me and it was all like coming together to build this thing. And I remember feeling this like anchored, like in the earth, full source power that was like, I can't even describe it. It was just like, whoa, like a flood of like, wow. And I was, I, I was in that energy because nothing, it's like, it didn't matter, but it still mattered. You know, like I loved everybody and I had compassion and I was there and present, but also like, I was just in my truth. And like, this is, I was just breathing it. And oh my God, talk about a magnet. Then all of a sudden it was like, especially I'd say with women, they were just like, I hit this frequency of women and they were just like, come in at me, come in at me. But I really still, with all of that being said, was not available. I was still tender in a way that it was like, I, I'm not, I'm not going there. And deep down inside of me, even with all of that letting go, I still knew it was Melissa. I fucking feel you. I let go of the story. I really let go of the story. And I had zero attachment. I still thought, probably never see her again. I don't really know what this even means. Maybe it's in another life. I don't know, but I just knew it was her. And there was something inside me that always was telling me like, you're just going to look out for her and you're just going to be there for her. But I let it go. I was moving on, having a good time. I get to Burning Man whatever the last burn was, it was that one. Um, I do all this sound alchemy in this pyramid at Playa Alchemist, which is like this big, beautiful pyramid that they build out on the playa, all gridded out. It's like crystals. We wooed it up big time. <laughs> it's just still my shit. I love that shit. <laughs> so we have a get down. We run, do all kinds of sound alchemy. All this stuff's happening. It turns into this giant golden age party. Um, which Lucian leads a lot of stuff we spoke to about earlier, um, that whole crew. I'm standing there with some of those guys and who walks up? Melissa Lynn. Jumps in my arms, tells me how she's been looking all over the playa for me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, what, what do I do with this? And I held it because I was like, I can't attach She's just having fun at Burning Man. It's not like, oh, hey, let's just jump in and get back together and do all the things and live our whole life and have babies and da da da, da. Like we've been saying before, it's like, she's just here and now and present with me. Now what? <laughs> How you can handle that one, bro? And I had a good time with it. We had, a, we had a blast and I was there and she's like, let's connect. Okay, sure, let's connect. We come out of the burn and now here come the messages. Well, through my arc of like just dealing with it and not really being available, she had a very different experience. She went right into another relationship 
with another man. And she's processing that coming to an end. And how does that happen? Or does it even come to an end? Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> now I'm, this is t- for me in my journey, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is the fucking world series of holding space and not having any attachment <laughs> to anything. And wh- however it goes, it goes. I'm just loving myself and speaking my truth and showing up in integrity with no even subtle subconscious fucking agenda about shit. I don't need you to do anything for me. And there was some kind of a sense of it from her. So she was reaching out to spend time and started to like really reflect with me. Like she would ask like, is this okay? Like for me to be sharing this? And I'm like, yeah, what is it? And she was coming with it he's been this and he's that and it's been perfect, but he doesn't want to have kids and I'm not sure about this. And well, what if that? And I was like, holding it, dude. <laughs> like, and I've fucking passed. I passed the test is how it felt. I was like, I have no fucking agenda because and just to back up a little bit, I was always that gentle hearted guy. I was raised around a lot of women I knew exactly how to subtly manipulate that yep. energy yep. into what I wanted. Yeah. I was a master at I'm steering you right where you want it, where I want you to go and you don't even really realize that's what's happening. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, I don't really want to do that anymore. Did I do that? I was like, I know that I'm extremely good at this and I've got to really check in every fucking word that's coming out of my mouth that it's not that and I passed that test. I held that energy and I had no attachment, no agenda, nothing. And as our relationship began to grow again and all of that was being processed, she showed up, she showed up again, she showed up again. And then the universe was like, y'all are doing this thing. When did we know that? The MAPS conference is happening in Austin, Texas. I'm going to be there. I had an inkling. I was like, how is she not going to be there? Because she's in that world as well of psychedelics and therapy. I show up to the San Francisco airport to get on my airplane uh, flight. And who's standing there? She, her, Melissa. I can still hardly say it because I'm like, oh my God, looking hot as ever. in that tight black jeans and that leather fucking jacket. Fuck, man. Okay, we're friends. I'm holding it. Here we go. You know, she's on this airplane flight. We had some time before the flight. Let's go get a bite to eat, talk a little bit. We're doing that. It's going great. She's being really nice and flirty with me a little bit, I got to say. And she's like, let's go see if we can't sit next to each other. Okay, cool. Let's do that. I had bought my ticket weeks before and I got the ticket where I could select my seat. 22, that's a number for me. I got 22. D, because I want on the aisle. I got long legs. <laughs> right? I go up to the counter and I say, hey, she's here. We want to try and see. I don't even get the sentence out to ask. And the guy's like, no, I don't have time for that. We don't even all the luggage on this flight. It's overbooked. There's no way. She's got one boarding pass. Here it is. He takes the last boarding pass because we were late showing back up now because we'd been talking over at the restaurant. There's that boarding pass sitting on the 
thing, he hands it to her. It's 22E right <laughs> yeah. next to me, right next to me. And it was like, that's one of those like, okay, if I'm not in divine flow right now and shit's not happening, like when does it? This is the waking dream. And higher self, <laughs> past forward ancestors, mama shining down from heaven, whatever that energy is, however you want to identify it. Like it was like, here, you're going to be in a metal tube flying at a bazillion miles an hour for the next four hours and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and in that moment, it, outside of holding space and listening and not showing up, it was like, it was time for me to really speak my truth again. And my truth was, this is hard for me, Melissa. I, this is how I view this as a challenge that I accept. But now that we're friends, when you brush your hand up against my arm, when you kiss me on my cheek, when you look at me the way that you're looking at me, everything inside of me is turned on. And I want you how I've always wanted you. I fully accept that that's not the case. I'm perfectly willing to step in and to be this person for you because all I know is I'm just supposed to be there for you. Everything in my body, my truth tells me I'm supposed to be there for you, to show up and be this pillar of masculinity for you. She melted. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I love you too. I don't, even know how, yeah, I don't even know how to step back into this, but like we're, I want to, let's do it. We've been together ever since. And you're getting married in like eight days. We're getting married in eight days. And there's a renewal of, <laughs> but to give you a little bit more, I got in that centered space. And now that seems like a vacation. That was easy. Because what am I attached to? I was a single man. My kids are grown. They've got what they need. Everybody, every, it's all kind of out here. And then all of a sudden, that one thing that I love so much that in my whole truth was like, it's about this. We have a thing to do in this life, baby. Was there again. So now, how do I not, well, let me make sure that you're happy. Maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe over here. The, all those things that would make you want to, what, toxic masculine or not being able to step up to the plate and hold that feminine now was like the real fucking work because yeah. now here it is. So I've got to like hold it. And that's my work every day. That's my work every day is to continue to love fully what feels like attachment. I don't want to go on anywhere. There's a lot of things I have now that I don't want going anywhere because I'm building a whole new life. And to me, that's that continued stepping forward and into this. It's like, okay, you want all your dreams to come true that are in this reality? Having all the things, having her, making babies. Okay, well, here it comes. And now let's see how you do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in it. And that's what it's all about for me. It's just like holding that frequency. And not just holding it, but growing in it, getting better at it. And, you know, to me, that's what it's about right now is like, as I'm stepping into this new life, doing it the right way, because I've seen, I've lived it in this body, what happens when it goes sideways on you. And you're not 
doing those right things for yourself, speaking your truth, taking the time, meditating. You know, that's a thing for me. Like I said earlier, like I'm going to do those things. I'm going to go work out. I need to move my body. You know, I'm going to do the things that take care of me. I've got my vows written and ready to go. They won't be fully spoken till I'm standing in front of her at that altar. But I'll tell you right now, part of them are, I'm going to take care of me. That's a promise that I've got for you standing here. I vow to make sure I'm taking care of me and I'm loving me. Because if I'm not doing that, I'm not shit for anybody else, period. And you know what it feels like I know to what it feels not like. do it and to see what happens. And I feel like that's what prepared me. I needed like V1 to teach me a lot of stuff the hard way so that I could birth out of that into this V2 and really take it, you know? And you hear those stories, right? It's different, but like near death or something, right? People know like, oh, wow, I got this second chance. You know, it's a longer, different kind of arc for me, but it's still that kind of energy. It's like, man, I'm not fucking this up. There's no way. And I've got the tools now. Thank you, God. I've been woken up to a level that I know, I know. And it's just like a truth seeker or somebody, you know, as you're awakened, like you don't turn it, you never turn it off, you know? So I'm just going to keep going. And I got a partner that's all about it. She's like, let's go. How else can we grow? Um, let's go how else can we grow yeah mm. and she knew it you know just one more thing on that story is she, when she came back and was like here's how my experience was if you talked to her about it I'm, i'd imagine this is what you hear but she knew that in those moments when i had no agenda and i wasn't trying to this or that she's a very intuitive woman like they all are and is also drop dead flipping gorgeous so she dealt with her whole life yeah. of i got some kind of angle yeah. and she knew even from me and after what we'd gone through and how we had separated she was like i knew fully i was totally safe and i didn't even ever know what it felt like till you were standing across from me and we were having those conversations what it was like to have a man show up that way and to me it was like that's that's it that's fucking it. And it, it makes me emotional to feel into it because I've, I've heard it from almost every woman that I've, I've been close enough to where they felt honest to articulate it. But uh, most women, specifically women that are like biologically, objectively attractive, a lot of them have literally never felt in the presence of a man who either wasn't explicitly their father and maybe that didn't even happen the felt sense of care without agenda and to just like it makes me sad it is to feel into how most men haven't been shown the example of how to be that type of man and that most women have never felt it and i you know i've got to add to that eric like women of that ilk and i've seen this with melissa very transparently and with other really beautiful women that are in our soul tribe and in our lives. Like, how do you get sympathy for that? How do you go? It's really yeah. hard because I'm yeah. so hot and like, everybody's attracted to me. Like nobody wants to fucking hear that. Yeah. But 
That's yeah. an actual very real reality because they're all supposed talk about who's objectified in the society. Like all of that just gets plastered on them. And then especially when they're like professionally crushing it, showing up, brilliant mind, so much to add. And all anybody wants to talk about are like, oh, you, your freckles are so cute. Why aren't you beautiful with those blue eyes? It's like, man, come on. Like I'm so much more than that. But yeah. how do you even tell that story? How culture? do you even talk about it? I remember in high school, uh, I got into a big fight with my mom because I was trying, like, it's interesting and tragic in its own way, but um, my mom was objectively beautiful when she was young and it attracted the type of attention from men that led to, like, the worst type of traumas that you can imagine. And as an older woman, um, she had a disdain for the really attractive women that were around me when I was in high school and college. Um, and to her credit, she felt like she felt that way against the ones that I was having trouble with that were causing me quote unquote pain. I remember having an argument with her where I was essentially trying to defend how hard it is to be a beautiful woman in our culture. And she got so mad. And in hindsight, I have the ability to see that, um, the part of her that got traumatized was angry at the part of her that catalyzed the attraction. So there was like a self-hate for the beautiful mm. woman inside of her. But that like the essence of the argument was what you're essentially saying, which is to even make the case that there is a place for genuine empathy and even seeking to help the most beautiful, articulate, intelligent women in a culture that objectifies them is almost taboo to even talk about. And uh, it won't be healed if it's not talked about. Yeah, we got to talk about it and address it and like allow them the safe container to like really speak to it. Like the invitation is all the men listening to this podcast, you know you've done it and you know you do it. Can you do the work to begin to do it less? Seriously. Yeah. And it's getting outside of the attachment of thinking that you need that to serve, because it ultimately is a need for it to serve you. My first round with her still had enough of the, like my ego going, oh, okay, cool. Well, if I've got her, then I like won the game. And treating her like she's some objectifying. Ooh, she's something yeah. outside of me that is like gonna be here next to me and give me the energy. I mean, when I just break it down energetics, that's the sickness you know, in the patriarchy or like however you want to call it, like we draw the energy from the female, their portal, and we take it subconsciously. We don't even realize that you're not even trying to like be hurtful or do it. It's just happening. Like alchemically it's happening. And you got to learn to through self-love and truth, fill your own cup and take care of yourself so that your feminine is balanced. And once you get into that frequency, you don't, need it in a way anymore and you don't draw it. And the second that they feel that, even though if they're not putting a conscious thought to it, subconsciously they feel it and they know it, that safety opens up and they're there. And then thank you, God, they can fully blossom. Yeah. Because boy, do we need them to. So that's the thing is holding it. And it comes by holding your own. Yeah. So that's the, to me, if there's a message to the men on this that are listening to this, it's go hold your own, dude. And you can and do I, it. And I feel like this segues nicely into you did five MEO uh, about a week ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, what, what the fuck happened? 
Well, the work continues. I would say that. Um, the work continues. You know, the inspiration for that for me was an opportunity to clear my vessel even more. So back to the timelines and going back to that little kid in the field. Well, it goes way beyond that. It's ancestral. It's encoded inside of us. And I have that knowing and I've done enough in, of this kind of work um, to really know that truth. So I went into this experience with a prayer around that healing. I can feel still sticky energy, especially in like my root and my sacral chakra. Uh, shame subjectively yeah and i think you're, the you're word? about to go there but subjectively what does it feel like to have energy stuck there like for you like the way that i imagine this question is if my consciousness was put into your meat suit and you were giving me a user manual to interpret your somatic feedback to your pure awareness what what would you tell me to look for experientially if i was in your meat suit that would tell me that your root chakra is sticky um number one emotions because the emotions are the number one teacher that's not your mind that's like your body and your heart telling you you know it's like those little intuitions almost but emotionally so then i'll pay attention to the words and the thoughts so what's happening from the way that she said that to me or how I want to express over here. And what what's that anxiety? Why, okay, I've got an emotion here that doesn't feel very good. Be with it, allow it. And then I, in my practice, ask it. What is it that you're trying to tell me? Mm. So I pay attention to that. And there's moments where I'm feeling something that feels sticky and I'll go, okay, there's something there. And then I also pay attention not only to my internal world, but what's happening in the collective. And it's been really powerful for me, our men's group. Take 24 of your like top peers, guys that you look up to or like you're right there with and, you're, and you hear them and you're like, okay, fuck, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got to say, um, being a part of that men's group is one of... There is nothing else like it in my life that I've ever experienced. And I think that there's something about getting with a group of people of the same biology with the intention on doing quote unquote the work, whatever that means, but it's about the intention and then just committing to showing up to a container like I would recommend it to everybody, everybody and you can do it with that whatever level you're at, but it really comes down to commit to showing up to the container, have the foundation of raw truth and also bring whatever your gifts are because everybody's got something. And then just like listen to what wants to be. Yep. Presence and truth. That's what we're all giving each other. We all have our busy lives. We're doing this or that. We all have our own stories, but we're like, we're going to show up on this day and we're going to do a thing. You take your turn leading it, but we're going to be present and with it. And everybody shows up with that energy and it's profound, the things that are happening. It's, we don't, we can't even calculate or we don't even know what's happening. Talk about otherworldly, like big things are happening. 
Um, big part of that's the healing and the ancestral, all the stories. Everybody's got a different one, but it's really all the same stuff to me. So for me, it's my work to continue to show up and be that person for myself, first and foremost. To back up several years, years quickly to kind of give you some context, as I was starting to awaken, um, I was down in the Woodlands, Texas, and there was this woman giving these readings. And their like, friends were doing it. And they're like, you lay on the table. Man, everybody shows up. You got like all these like past lives and like healers and ascended masters. And like they're showing up and she like channels them and they've got messages for you. And like everybody had a story of like 10 people that showed up in the room when they did this thing. So I was like, dope. Okay, I'm in. I go, I get on the table. One person shows up. It was my grandfather who had passed away about four years prior. And he had one message for me and he said, thank you for doing the work that's gonna heal all of this. At the time, naively, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Cause I'm a good dad and I'm taking care of the business and I'm, I'm Mr. Like program. I was like, oh, cool. Cause I'm doing everything right. I'm Mr. Program. I love that. Yeah, I'm doing everything right. Everybody <laughs> loves me. I've made sure everybody's happy. And I'm doing everything right. That's like, little did I know I was about to go through major, all the things that we just talked about. I had no idea, but that, I go back to that moment because it was like, that's this work. It's waking up and coming out of these programs and time, whatever, it all falls away. And he shows up in spirit and is like, thank you. He's thanking me before I even realized what that meant. But to me, it's that. So in that, I got to keep, I didn't, you didn't just cross the finish line. You're, if you're in a body, you're doing it. Right. If you're breathing, the if you're breathing, then like, let's go. What's next? So in that most, especially inspired by relationship and the opportunity of a sacred divine union and bringing life into the world, I don't want these same patterns repeated. So how can I clear this vessel? That's how I look at it. So I went in to this 5-MEO journey with that prayer. Let me heal these sticky things that I feel in me. Intuitively, it feels like um, suppression of, I only know how to read it as like sexual energy just because it's down here. But it's like there's some shame. There's this program that tells me I shouldn't, have all of this. I'm not mm. good enough. Mm. This has got to be some kind of a manipulation or a lie. You know, all that stuff's still there. Wow. So how I I need to make the prayer of like, please help me clear this as best I can. So, oh my God, man. I um this is my fifth time with five. The first three were pure bliss just dropped into oneness crystal bowl sounds happening people are holding space and i'm just like in the oneness oh thank you god hmm. um the last one the last time i was with five um i had a prayer and it was to really it was when melissa and i were starting to step back into relationship and my prayer was anything that's still here around abandonment i need to cut it loose help me 
And I had like a somatic kind of a trembling, you know, like some energy really moved off of me, but I was never like just fully gone in the medicine. The first three times? No, the first three times were just pure bliss. Okay. This is the fourth time. Hurt. And I had a different prayer. It wasn't like, oh, just let me connect with God. It was like, hey, like I need to move some. I, I, some I'd now gotten comfortable enough with the medicine that I was like, I know how to work within this space. Let me leverage leverage this opportunity to be open to all these dimensions to take care of some business is the best way I know how to say it in this moment. Um, so let me clear that out of the way. There was a little bit left. I'd already done all that work. You know, I just felt like, okay, I shook a little bit off. Awesome. This one wasn't just about me or this particular story. I was like, I want, this is like ancestral. I know this. I know this goes up, back, all the ways. There's energy in me that I'm holding that needs to move. So I receive the medicine. It was more than I'd ever taken in it one time. Um, gone consciously. Um, brothers of ours that were in the room um, holding space shared with me later that I was just like in a full somatic, like trembling, like I was just all over the place. They really had to like kind of keep me steady so I wouldn't hurt myself. That much energy was like moving through me. Um, when I finally started to come out of that, my first like real recollection is me kind of coming off my back and up and like gripping my fists and screaming at the top of my lungs, just fucking surrender, dude. Just fucking surrender, dude. Just fucking surrender and then melt. Every like that initial ayahuasca purge. It's all coming out of me. It's all coming out of me. I opened up the can and it was like, you want this? Okay, here it comes. And I was in it, Eric screaming, moaning, roaring, like the energy that was just pulsing through me is really hard to, to describe. Um, I was sensing it and it was not comfortable because it's not comfortable. Those are icky things. And I could feel in my body where it was like trembling and moving and then coming out. I could feel again, it wasn't just me and my story. This was collective clearing. I was outside of time. And to go further into like things I'm still just trying to integrate because I don't know is, and a big question I have right now is like, what is that balance of, because it's scary, honestly. You know, you're like, oh my God, all of this is like, is this just within me and this body? all this work I've done, everything I just talked about. And like, this is here. That's, ugh, what is that? <laughs> yeah. You know, or it's collective. And then like, how am I supposed to move this and continue to, because guess what? The medicine's wearing off. Now I'm settling back into my body. An instant thought was like, can I just like, when can I come back? I need to like do this again and again and again. It feels like a nightmare and it's not a lot of fun, but like, I just want this out of me. But 
the thing I'm still trying to deal with here is, but actually I'm supposed to carry some of this too. Like if I just break free of all of it completely, then what am I even doing here? Yeah. So what's this line that I'm walking now in this new level of awareness that, yeah, is going to enjoy some attachments. I want that woman sitting next to me. I want that nice truck that I got outside. I want that nice house that I'm like looking for in Austin. I want to have the boat like my homies have, you know, like how do I have these things, attach to these things and want these things and not manipulate and move things in the wrong way. Right. Right. But like, there's this, like, you want to, in that soul moment, like you just want to be break free, you know, And, and to continue with that journey, all of that, you know, I scream that this purge purges out of me. And then I come back to, and I'm in this ecstasy again. And what I perceived as what I was seeing, it was like, and I've been Googling the hell out of like trying to find like DMT, like visions and stuff, but it's like this kind of sacred geometric light body. What I perceived as like divine feminine sitting across from me. And she was like, it's okay. Let it go. Let the shame go. Let this energy go. Keep going. Let it go. Here we are. Yeah. When it when you're free of this, feel what this feels like. And yeah. I felt this like wall around my heart just shatter. Like it went into the walls around me and I felt fully free, fully alive and back in this like ecstatic Kind of somewhat sexual, but not really like in a like, I oh, I mean. feel like I'm with this person in this, you know, it wasn't that, but it was like, it's related to that full freedom right. of like fully open Kundalini, whatever, just free. Yeah. Free of all the shame, free of any story, and just loving fully. Like I was in it. And and with further integration, it wasn't like, oh, it's this like thing outside of me. It was like my divine feminine. For sure itself. And it was like, Hey, this is all of you. You're in this polarity right. right now, but this is all of you. And this is what it feels like when you're fully released of these stories and the shame and you're just allowing. And can I offer a metaphor that comes up when you said that you were feeling into the balance between like, do I need to just come back to 5-MEO over and over to process this energy slash, you know, there are the wants of my ego desire in the three-dimensional reality. The um, image that comes to mind is a tree. And you've heard the quote, you know, uh, trees, branches can't reach to heaven further than its root to reach down into hell. One of the things that... uh that book I share with you, the overstory, one of the lines that just like, I was like, wow, is that it's something like um, the way humans see trees is incomplete. It's like an amputation. And it's that we, like every single person listening, unless you've done the work, if you imagine a tree, you imagine a tree cut in half. You imagine a trunk and you imagine branches mm-hmm. and you don't recognize that half of what that thing is, is roots that's down in the soil. And the metaphor that comes up is that my personal intuition is the model that you can get any of this out of you is 
it's it's a way of looking at it that adds a, a sense of almost hopeless impossibility because it doesn't feel like it's the orientation that actually matches what the psyche is doing. The, what I imagine is we get to a level where we're finally ready to say, I am ready to create a new top branch that touches a new part of the sun of the life that I'm calling in. And the energetic balance of the universe is beautiful. You have to create a new root. And the act of creating a new root is the part of us that touches all of the quote unquote dark emotions. Mm -hmm. And if you want a branch that's going to reach to a new height that's never existed before, the cost and cost is even the wrong yeah, word because you. it's us stuck in the old model but the like the offering i would call right, it right is the friction of that new root going into the collective felt sense of shame or anguish or fear and that that lays the new nutrient vein that allows for the new branch to even be created and so you're at a point in your life where you're like i'm ready to call in a new type of photosynthetic offering to the sun of all and the cost is let me go feel just a little titration of the collective and that you never get rid of the soil yeah it's got to be there if you did you would die and you always have the opportunity if you want to take a new branch that you have to dig a little bit deeper new root that feels really good. Thank you. Because <laughs> I've really been sitting with that of like, wow, this feels endless when you're in it. And I was like, okay, well, how do I go keep going back and like digging that? But post this experience, intuitively, I felt like, okay, wow. Like I just did some big clearing and something it's coming forward. And I've experienced that in my past five MEO journeys where it's like, okay, it's, it's always like a springboard. It takes in the past, like three, six months and you start to see like, oh, okay, this one feels way bigger than that. I even felt like my first four were just preparing me yeah. for this one. Yeah. Is really how I felt. And that prayer is a deep prayer and I, it's taking me forward. And now for me, it's just like three dimensional reality. You just got to play catch up. Cause I just, did some shit. The question that I love to close the podcast out with is imagine that you have fulfilled all that your higher self has called for this version of you to fulfill in this life. And you're however old you are, 80, 90, 120, depending on what your aspirations are. And you know, at the end of this last day, you're going to die peacefully in your sleep. How do you spend that last day? Where do you spend it? And who do you spend it with? In nature, back in those redwoods. That's it was exactly what I was about to ask you. Back in those redwoods um, that are close to the ocean too. It's all right there uh, with Melissa. And I would say all of my family. All of my family. I've got children walking this earth. I got grandchildren walking this earth. And to me, it's about showing up in that truth and that safety. And when you create that safety, that love just tends around you. Mm. I get married in eight days. My previous wife will be at that wedding. 
with her new husband. Like, that's it. New family, modern family, whatever you want to call it. But it's like coming to a space of love and holding and seeing each other. And like the people that are closest to me, I'd want to be there and just be celebrating that mirroring and seeing of each other before I bounce. The moment you said that, a large bird that I couldn't detect what type it was flew across the sky. And if you got to leave a single message to your grandchildren on a piece of paper that night before you go to sleep, what would you write? Unconditional love for self. It starts with you. That's just it. Brother, thank you so much for coming on the motherfucking podcast. Thank you, dude. We did this thing. Thank you for <laughs> your story. It was incredible. And I'm looking forward to dancing and maybe doing extracurricular chemicals at your wedding. It's going to all happen. Yeah. Buckle your seatbelt, dude. It's on. <laughs>